John chapter 4, and we'll be reading in verses 28 through 42. John chapter 4, verses 28 through 42. In John chapter 4, verse 28, the Bible says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said one to another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The Gospel according to John, John the Apostle here is writing this book to demonstrate to us exactly who Jesus is. And so as we study through this book, that is what we are seeking to learn, exactly who Jesus is. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is God in flesh. He is the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, who gave his life on the cross to take the punishment of our sins upon himself so that we could be released from the guilt and the debt of those sins, and we could be freed to live life with the Lord in his presence, looking forward to entering into his kingdom. That's who Jesus is. And in John chapter 4, the Bible is demonstrating to us who Jesus is by showing us the interaction he has with this woman by the well. And we talked about this last week. We talked about how this instance shows the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. People didn't travel through Samaria at that time. They did not go through Samaria because there was a lot of division between the Israelites and the Samaritans, and there was a lot of historical reasons for that division. But yet, when Jesus was going from Judea up north to Galilee, instead of going around Samaria like most travelers went, the Bible says, in the King James Version, he must needs go through Samaria. So whereas everybody else avoided Samaria like the plague, Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And why did he need to go through Samaria? We find out in John chapter 4 that he needed to meet this woman by the well because here you have a sinner seeking after God's truth who is looking for redemption and Jesus knew that she was there and he went to meet her to bring her redemption. That's the grace of Jesus Christ right there. See, Jesus didn't park himself in Jerusalem and demand that everybody find him. Jesus went looking for sinners. And that's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, that this is a faithful saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners in whom I am chief. He came to seek and to save, to redeem, 
to restore. We see his grace in this passage. We also see his compassion through his interaction with the woman at the well. Now, this woman is not only a Samaritan, but she's also the lowest of the Samaritans. She's out here at the well by herself. Everybody else looks down on her. You kind of pick up that attitude as you see the interaction between her and the townspeople. Yet Jesus, when he went to her, did not talk down to her, did not treat her disrespectfully, but instead engaged her so that she would come to an understanding of who he is. You see his compassion. And we see how he meets all of our needs. Last week we talked about how he met this woman's spiritual needs. He met her emotional needs. The water's right there in the well, but she gets so caught up in the spiritual and the emotional needs being let, being let, being met, being, it's easy for you to say. I get really excited about this story. I, I really do. Um, she winds up leaving the water pot because she's got bigger things on her mind. And so we see all this. And as this event unfolds, we're going to learn a lesson. Mm -hmm. That lesson is that faith is contagious. Okay? Faith is contagious. There has never been a pandemic like faith. Faith infiltrated the Roman Empire and the entire known world within a century. We're going to see how faith is contagious. And in studying this, we're going to look at the transformation of the woman. This woman is totally changed by this experience. Mm -hmm. We're going to see the need for faith to be spread. And we are going to see how people come to faith. How do people come to the point of belief? Okay? So first, let's look at the transformation of the woman. So the woman left her water jar and went into town. That's what verse 28 tells us. So she's talking to Jesus. And, she, and, and Jesus baits her in with this statement about living water that you drink it. You'll never have to drink water again. And she says, well, give me some of this water. And he says, go and call your husband. And she goes, well, I don't have a husband. He goes, yeah, you're right. You've had five, and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. She goes, oh, I perceive you're a prophet. I have some questions for you about the Lord. And she starts asking the questions. And she goes, well, and, and they, they have a little back and forth. And she goes, well, when the Messiah comes, I know he'll answer all things. This would be like us saying, we'll figure it out when Jesus comes back, you know, when Jesus returns. She says that, and Jesus goes, I'm him. <gasps> and then she leaves her water jar, goes running back into town, and to prove that this is the Christ, she goes, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. And so there they go, and, 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 and the people are on their way out. And so you see this woman's transformation. The woman left her water jar and went into town. The woman had come to the well for the purpose of getting water and being left alone. Because this is something that women normally did together. There's safety in numbers, but she's by herself. So either the other women want nothing to do with her, or she just wants to be left alone. And maybe it's both. Maybe the other women want nothing to do with her, and she doesn't want to have to deal with them either. And so here she is. She's getting water. She's being left alone. Jesus talks to her. She wants to know what he thinks he's doing talking to her. Next thing you know, you have this big interaction. This woman had come to the well for the sole purpose of getting water and being left alone, but then, but then she meets Jesus. She meets Jesus. And being transformed by this overall experience, she leaves the well without her water. Have you ever gotten so caught up in something that you totally forgot what you were there for? You go to Walmart, bread and milk, you walk out of there with apples, a pie, 
a rotisserie chicken, an Xbox game, a couple of t-shirts, and you get home and you realize you still don't have bread and, and, and milk. Y'all ever do that or is that just me, all right? I mean, I can't be the only senile person in the room, all right? But this is not a situation where she just forgot her water pot. She was transformed and she has a new purpose. She didn't leave her water pot thinking, oh man, that was a great experience. I think I'm going to go home. And then get home and realize she left her water at the well. That's not what happened. No, she's going into town for a whole new purpose to all together. She is going into town to tell everybody that she has met the Christ. She has met the Messiah, the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She's going to go tell them. And verse 28 says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Or in the King James Version, Is this not the Christ? Is he not the Lord? Is he not the Messiah? Is he not the Christ? Her transformation didn't merely cause her to forget her water pot. She left her water pot because her agenda changed. All too, I mean, so, so many times we go through life, we have agendas. We need, to, we need to put in our eight hours and get our eight hours paid today. We need to get to the store and buy bread and milk. We need to make the mortgage payment, make the rent payment, pay the car, do this, do that. I've got this at 2 o'clock. We have all these agendas, right? When Christ reaches you, you still need to pay the rent and the mortgage, but your why becomes different. Her transformation drove her to tell the townspeople that Christ had come. She's motivated by her heart. She's not going into this village of Samaria because she has to go witnessing now that she's a church member. Not because the pastor handed her 10 tracks and said, make sure you pass these out this week. Not because the church had organized an outreach. Her heart for the Lord, that transformation, and her excitement over what this means for her people drove her into town to tell everybody that the Lord had come. You get the idea that the woman, like many of the Samaritans, were looking forward to Jesus coming because she says, I know that when Christ comes, he will tell us all these things. They're looking forward to it. They're trying to solve the mystery. And when Jesus told her he was the Christ, her first response was to go tell everyone. Her faith compelled her action. And because her faith compelled her action, many people believed. Let me tell you something. Faith is contagious. Faith is contagious. If you truly have faith and you truly know Jesus Christ, you should be motivated and driven to tell others about him. And you should be motivated and driven to lead others into his presence. Now, I'm not saying that you're standing on the street corner street preaching all day every day. And I'm not saying you're handing everybody that you meet a track. That's not necessarily a bad thing, mind you. But I'm not telling you you have to do that. But you ought to be able to give a reason for the hope that lives within you. You ought to be able to give a reason for why you, why you know that things are going to be okay. You ought to be able to demonstrate in your lifestyle that, that even though things are bad right now, you know that there is a greater purpose moving forward. The inability for Christians to tell other people about Jesus. This is a phenomenon that is a recent development. This is something that has come about in modern American Christianity. This is not a problem you see in, in, uh, in the Sudan. 
in Somalia. This is not a problem you see in the Middle East where they're actively persecuted. The inability to tell somebody else about Jesus, that's a modern American phenomenon. And the reason is, I think, to a large degree, we forgot what we believe. We forgot what the faith is all about. We forgot what the central message of Christianity is. When I can interview a pastor on the radio and ask him what's the central message of Christianity, and he's stumped, we got problems. When I knock on 150 doors in Brownwood, Texas, and ask people if they're going to heaven, they tell me yes, and I tell them how do they know, and they can't tell me, we've got a problem. We don't know what we believe. We think Christianity is about living the best life now. We think that Christianity is about being a good person. We think that Christianity is about voting Republican and being politically active and starting a business and running the business according to biblical standards so that we can be successful at business. We've forgotten what Christianity is all about. It's a, it's a, we think it's about us. We think it's about us. And it's really about Christ. Amen. And it's really about what he did to redeem us to himself. That's what Christianity is about. If you cannot tell others about Jesus, do you really know him? Do you really know him? I can tell you about my favorite hamburger. It changes. Sometimes I like Burger King. Sometimes I like Jack in the Box. There's a really good burger in my wife. I know. See, it's a house divided. Jessica hates both of those places. But there's, there's a place in San Angelo called Twisted Root. And I can tell you all about Twisted Root. There's a burger, I don't know what it's called, I have to read the menu to figure out which one it is. So maybe I don't know my burger too well. But it comes with like roasted jalapenos and, and onion rings and all this other good stuff on it. Bacon and like a big, I don't know, it has to be like a half pound of beef there and cheese. And this thing is delicious. This thing is delicious and I can tell you all about how the roasting of the, of the jalapeno peppers adds to the flavor. You know, and I can tell you all about why I think that the, the Wendy's Baconator is a great burger. I can tell you all about that. And you can too, maybe not the Baconator, but you have a favorite hamburger, don't you? You have a favorite place that you go to eat, and you can tell me all about that place. Mm-hmm. And half of the stuff that's our favorite food is going to kill us. I mean, it'll, be the, it'll probably be... One of those burgers I just listed to you, that'll be the result of my downfall, okay? Let's just go ahead and accept that. At least I've moved beyond McNuggets, Brother Ron. I've matured a little bit in my my walk here. But yet, Christ gives us eternal life. And what can we tell people about him? What can we say? What do we know about him? If you can't tell others about Jesus, do you know him? Charles Spurgeon once said something along the lines of, if you are not burdened for the lost, you are not saved. And you can be sure about that. Mm -hmm. And so we see this woman's transformation. And this woman's transformation was such that she not only saw Jesus for who he was and accepted him for who he was, but she trusted him. She believed him. No matter how, okay, so she's got five ex-husbands. And she's got a boyfriend that's not really stepping up to the plate here. She's in a bad spot. And everybody in town gossips about her. In fact, when we're done with this whole thing, they're going to say, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but not because of anything you did. How would you like to feel that way, right? How would you like to hear that? 
She's going to be in a bad spot. And she's going to live in a world where nobody recognizes her redeemed nature. No one's going to recognize that she's a new person. No one's going to lift her up. But that's okay. Because she has Jesus. Amen. And she knows Jesus has forgiven her. And she knows that the, that the Christ is here. And he's going to set everything straight. Amen. I have a lot of decisions I made early on in life that are still affecting me today. They don't affect me as much as they used to, but there are still, still some days I live with some regret for some things I have done in the past. I have some people that are still holding things from years ago against me. I have people that think I owe them something, and I'm, first of all, I don't think I owe them anything, and second of all, even if I did, I don't think I could do anything about it, but none of that matters. None of that matters. What matters is I know that Christ has forgiven me. And so whatever baggage is still hanging around here from my past, I'm still at peace because I know that the Lord has redeemed me. And this woman has that, and she is transformed by that, and she's telling the rest of the village about that. Secondly, we see the need. So she's run off to town to get everybody, and the disciples are showing up, and they've gone into town to buy Whataburger, all right? Okay, they went into town to buy bread, but go with me here. It was a, might have been an In-N-Out burger. I can tell you about those, too. Um, but they've gone in town to buy lunch, and they're coming back. And they're like, here, Jesus, eat something. And he goes, I've got food you don't know about. I'm like, Lord's been holding out on us. Jesus, somebody buy you food? Where'd you get it? And he's like, the, my food is to do the will of my Father and to accomplish what he sent me here to do. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys say that harvest isn't for another four months. About this time, the crowd's coming up out of town. Mm-hmm. He says, but look to the fields. They are white with harvest. Mm-hmm. Y'all ever gone up to the panhandle and seen the, the cotton fields? Yes. So there are cotton fields. I had to go to Jacksonville this weekend, and around Corsicana area, they grow a lot of cotton there. The fields are starting to turn white. Yep. When it gets time to harvest the cotton... It looks like it has snowed. It looks like it has come a blizzard. It is beautiful. Yes. All right, it's time for harvest then, right? Jesus points them, the disciples, to the townspeople. He says, the fields are white in the harvest. Mm-hmm. There's your harvest. Yes. When the Lord looks at mankind, he sees a harvest. Well, what does that mean? It means he sees a race of people who are needing his redemption. When the Lord looks at mankind, he sees our lostness. He sees our need for redemption. And he sees it as being crucial. Your redemption and your salvation, your transformation is crucial to the Lord. It's as crucial to the Lord as getting to the harvest on time is to the farmer. That farmer, he invested money buying the seed, taking out a loan with the bank to be able to buy the seed and the equipment he needs to plant that seed. If he, doesn't re- if he doesn't harvest that seed, he, the bank's going to say, where's our money? He's going to, I don't have any. And then they're going to take all of his stuff. Yeah. And so getting to the harvest is crucial to the farmer. Mm-hmm. Just as crucial is our redemption and our salvation to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples that the fields were white unto harvest. He was telling them that there is a great need in Samaria for the gospel. And the people are willing to receive it. You can have a great crop out there, but if it's not time to harvest, you better not harvest it. They had a little garden at the Boys and Girls Club in in Brown County. 
and we had a local gardener helping. He, he built these raised beds and had some strawberries growing there. They had a problem because there's not going to be enough strawberries for all the kids at the Boys and Girls Club. And so the first one to the plant gets the strawberry, basically. And the problem was they all knew it. And so these kids were picking the strawberries before they were ripe mm -hmm. because they wanted to have a strawberry. And, I mean, these are kids that helped grow in the garden. I mean, these are kids that helped in the garden. So it's not like they're just showing up stealing somebody else's strawberries. But, like, they all worked in the garden, so they wanted to see what it was like to eat a strawberry that they had grown. And so they would pluck it when it was still mostly green just so they could say that they were able to eat one of the strawberries they helped grow. must have been nasty. <laughs> but, you know, kids... You know, kids, you don't want to take the harvest too early. If you wait too late, you're going to lose it. But what Jesus was saying is there's a great need for the gospel here, and these people are ready to receive it. Yes. Our fields are white in the harvest. Yes. There are 38,000 people that live in Brown County. There are 3,300 that live in the city of Early, and they all need the gospel. Well, Leland, there's like 300,000 churches around here. There are. And a lot of those preach the gospel. But just because someone's heard the gospel doesn't mean they don't need to hear it again. Right. And just because someone already knows the Lord is their Savior doesn't mean that they won't find peace and comfort and healing in hearing the gospel again. The Lord has chosen us, his people, his churches, to carry the gospel to these people that are in need of the gospel. We see the need. 38,000 people in Brown County, there's like 20 of us here. We got plenty to do. We've got plenty to do. And finally, we see how the gospel spreads. In verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Her testimony drew people to Christ. Uh, it's kind of interesting because we talk about having a testimony and we want to have a really good testimony. We want to be very well behaved so people will see Jesus in us. Her testimony was, he told me everything I ever did. And they're like, oh, we got to go see this guy. Her testimony drew people to Christ and her testimony led people to believe in Jesus. Does your testimony draw people to Christ and does it lead people to believe? Can they see that your faith is real? Can they see that your faith has changed who you are and had an impact on your life? And verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. More powerful than our personal testimonies is the word of God, is the Bible, is the scriptures. Do we know it? Do we know what it says? And can we share it? In America, we have many large churches. Some of these are quite impressive. I was in a church building this past week up in Cisco. Cisco. And this, this place was just amazing. It was huge. They had everything you could want there. They had an auditorium that they would hold their worship. There was a place called Dino Land where kids could learn about dinosaurs and how that fits into the creation. There was a playground where the kids could go play. They had a school operating there. There was a coffee shop, a little cafe. It's all there. I'm not criticizing none of this, by the way. I was, I was impressed with it, though. I'm like, this is, this is pretty amazing. I'm happy with what we built, but that was still pretty amazing. We got big churches, 
rich churches. We have little churches. That'd be us. We have little churches, small churches, gatherings of about 20 people that don't have a lot of money. All right? We've got them all. And we've got several of them in each town. We've got several big churches here in town. We've got several small churches here in town. By town, I'm saying Early and Brownwood. All right? We've got plenty. You go down to, you go down to the, the bigger cities, San Antonio, Houston, DFW, you can literally drive on the freeway past dozens of these things. Right? Yet, when you look at the state of Christianity in America, we're declining. We're declining. It could be because we don't understand what we believe or what we profess that we believe. It could be because we have forgotten our purpose, our purpose being to proclaim the gospel. And it could be because we have forgotten our testimonies and who we are in the Lord. We need to remember what we believe. We need to remember our faith. We need to be centered on our gospel. And we need to remember what God wants us to do with our faith and to do with the gospel that he has entrusted us with. That's our charge moving forward. Let us stand.